Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. I want to remind you guys, especially if you weren't here last week, we're preaching line by line through the Gospel of John. I want to encourage you guys also, again, like I did last week, I know you can't just say it once and it gets done. If you're a regular and you're comfortable so doing, oh, we'll get to that. Pastor Dennis is so responsible, he's like three steps ahead of me, but that's normal. If you're comfortable so doing, it really, really is okay to sit in the spit section. It really is okay, because we only have five, one, two, three, we've only got five rows, so that is 20% of our seating for you math geniuses, you know, that's 20%. And I, and I want to keep sharing that for one main reason. If this is your first time in a room, I don't care if it's the Elks Lodge, a movie theater, a theater you've never been to, like people generally, especially a religious group, why on earth would you want to sit in front where they can all see you? That's terrifying if you're new. So I'm asking you out of love for people who have never been in the room before, if you're comfortable in the spit section, I have the antibodies, it's gonna be okay. If you're comfortable in the spit section, not right now necessarily, but in future weeks, please do. We are teaching through the Gospel of John, and this is a firsthand account of one of Jesus Christ's best friends and one of his very first followers. And we're in a five-week series, this is week two, called Facing the Cross. I entitled it this because everything that's happening, Jesus' words and the actions, make it really clear Jesus knows he is about to die for the sins of everyone who would believe, and nobody else has a clue. If we see this, okay, those are my Bible scholars. Anybody seen that one over and over and over in the Bible where Jesus knows what he's talking about, but everybody else is lost as a goose? Okay, we read the, we've seen that in the Bible? Okay. That's a sermon unto itself for 2021. We, we keep thinking that we ought to know what's going on, but the Bible says, nope, Jesus is the only one who knows what's going on. <laughs> this is normal. This is normal. Today's tit- uh, title is called Decide Before the Show Who Will Clap. You're going to see this right from the text as we journey. Decide before the show who will clap. If you need a Bible, please put a hand up, and a volunteer's going to get you one right now. Put a hand up, and we're going to get you a Bible and turn to page 895. Everybody else, John 12. We're going to start at verse 37. If you have a Bible but you're new to it, the table of contents at the front will show you where John is. It's the fourth book under the heading New Testament. If you do not own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Take it home. It's yours. And we're going to read together 37 through 50. But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, when a text starts with the word but, what should we do? But is a contrast, right? It's not an and, it's the opposite, it's but. Despite, so cool things have been happening. Despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. And that's a phrase that the Bible uses specifically saying 
did not believe that he was the Messiah, the promised one of God who was going to deliver Israel. Okay? Most still... So there's your poll right there. Not half, not some, most. You can raise Lazarus from the dead and you're still only going to get a relatively small slice to believe. Anybody surprised by that? Anybody ever tempted to think that we could have a funeral right here in this room? Somebody, open casket funeral, they're dead. They've been dead for a week and a half. And the preacher says, come back to life. And they crawl out of the casket. Anybody tempted to think? Everybody gets saved at that point. Everybody believes Jesus Christ is Lord because by his power the dead are alive. And the scripture says, no. You can raise the dead and and a small slice go, wow, I can see Jesus' power for what it is. And the rest of the room is like, ah, I saw that on YouTube once. There's a scientific explanation for that. Verse 38. This, this unbelief, is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe. For as Isaiah also said, the Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and have me heal them. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he spoke of this because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. That's pretty awesome. 800 years in advance, you know what's going to happen. I don't know what I'm having for lunch today. But Isaiah can see almost 800 years into the future and see his deliverer. Verse 42, many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders. But is that a place where you want to have a but? The last verse had faith. Hey, there is a little glimmer of hope. Some people trusted in Jesus. And we don't even get to enjoy the thought. We didn't even get to let it linger. But, oh, bummer. Bummer. They wouldn't admit it that they believed Jesus was Messiah for fear that the Pharisees, the the current ruling religious elite, elite, the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. Is it a problem when your faith in God could get you kicked out of church? My church kicked me out. What happened? I got saved. What? That's when a church has gone really, really bad. I got saved, so they kicked me out. And that's what Nicodemus and others are having to deal with. What happens when I meet God and so God's people, or those who are supposed to be God's people, say, you're no longer welcome here. I've told you guys before, a theologian named D.A. Carson from Canada he was a part of a group that in the ni- late 1980s, they kicked him out of the denomination. And he had been asked by Christianity Today, you know, what is it like to, to leave your denomination under such t- terrible circumstances? And he says, oh, I didn't leave. They left. I'm teaching the same book that my denomination was teaching 40, 50 years ago, was teaching 300 years ago. See, they left. They walked away. They decided that the Bible can be molded and shaped around whatever humanistic ideas we have. I I didn't move. I'm still here. 
They wouldn't admit it for fear that the religious elite would kick them out of church. Verse 43. For, this is talking about their fear, their silence. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. I know that's never happened before, but 2,000 years ago it occurred once. Jesus shouted to the crowds, if you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me but don't obey me, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. If you guys remember John 3.17, this is almost verbatim. My first coming, I have the right to judge, but I'm not doing it. Woman, where are your accusers? They're all gone. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He, he has every right to condemn her. He doesn't. That's what the whole first coming of Messiah was all about. He'll judge later, but he, he could have judged 2,000 years ago, and he didn't. He said, I'm going to show you some patience and some mercy. I want to adopt you as sons and daughters into this family. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. We're in a culture right now, we love the merciful Jesus. Jesus doesn't judge. Oh no, he's nice and, and, and smokes peace pipes with everybody and he would never say anything angry, he would never get upset. And he said right there, that this, this silly philosophy that floats around, we've clearly just never read the Bible. He said, oh, you have a judge all right and it's coming, but that judge is also merciful and patient. Merciful and patient. Wow. Verse 49, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Holy Spirit, would you teach us the word of God today, please? Lord Jesus, if you don't change our lives right now, uh, this becomes a social club where we come for some encouragement, a quick hit of feel good, and then leave. God, I need so much more than that. My brothers and sisters need so much more than that. Friends in the room who don't know you yet, they need so much more than that, God. We need hearts of stone smashed and hearts of flesh put in their place. Only you, Holy Spirit, can do that. God, we need the beautiful gift of repentance, every one of us, to turn away from the silliness that is my own thinking about how life should be lived and instead joyfully following you. Oh, Holy Spirit, do that in us today. Give us the humility to hear what you're saying today. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. God's people said Amen. It's going to start off tough, but this is where the text is. Note takers, grab your pens. The same preaching that saves also condemns. Don't hear that one in Sunday school growing up, huh? It's right there, though. The same preaching that saves also condemns. Look with me again at verse 37. This is hard. And, and, and by the way, guys, a side note, 
One of the reasons that we do line-by-line teaching through the Bible, not just topical preaching, like we did with the the Victory Series, line-by-line forces the preacher into uncomfortable texts to talk about things that we would otherwise want to avoid. Does that make sense? Okay, this is one of those moments. But despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe, for as Isaiah also said, the Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so their eyes cannot see, their hearts cannot understand, they can't turn to me and have me heal them. Isaiah said this well in advance. Also, jump down to verse 48, where Jesus speaks to this again. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. It's the truth that I have spoken that leads to someone being judged. You know something now that you didn't know and you're now held accountable to it because I told you. Anybody, everybody, anybody ever uh, punished their child, grandchild? See, your hand went up too fast. I'm in the middle of a sentence, Pastor Dennis. (laughs) Like, yes, multiple times. I had six of them. Anybody punished your child with a little bit more intensity because you had carefully explained this 1,700 times? Anybody been purposefully merciful because your child did something wrong, but this was totally new? You had never discussed it before? This was totally new, and so you're, you're gentle about it, right? You're like, oh my gosh, you really can't do that. But I understand that I've never explained it before. So my job as a parent right now isn't to come down hard on you. I've never taught you. Discipline, right? To disciple. It's primarily teaching of the knowledge and the fear and the love of God. So like, you don't know this yet. I'm gonna teach you. You're not gonna be in a corner or something where, anybody here know before the 1980s they had an invented timeout? Yeah, anyway. So we're not gonna go to, to, to punishment or, or more difficult, you know, tough parts of discipline. We're gonna do the teaching part of discipline. I haven't taught you this yet. I haven't taught you this yet. Jesus says, I am telling you now. I'm telling you, the last text right before this, come to me while there's still time. You're trying to be right with God based on your own good behavior. It's not gonna work. I already told you, unless your righteousness, your moral goodness surpasses that of the Pharisees, the religious elite, you'll never be a part of the kingdom of God. That's a backhanded way of saying the Pharisees will be the very, very nicest people in hell. You gotta be just a little bit more holy than that. I am teaching you, Jesus says, I'm teaching you guys how to be reconciled to the Father. It's through me. I am the light of the world. And if you choose to be judged, it's gonna flow out of this. You're choosing to ignore what I showed you. You're choosing to ignore what I told you about how to be reconciled to God through my blood. He's about to go to a cross and say, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Knowing stuff takes away our excuses. I'm gonna watch a video clip here in just a second. If you did not see the movie Amazing Grace, I would love for you to go see it. This is William Wilberforce. He is a member of the British Parliament in the 1810s, 20s, and 30s, and he's fighting to abolish the transatlantic slave trade. But he's fighting tooth and nail. Takes him almost 20 years. He's trying to get Parliament on board with seeing how horrible slavery really is. Let's go ahead and watch this together.
If you stood in dirt that was saturated by blood, snot, and tears because you were five feet away from a Roman cross, and you looked up, and there was Jesus, the Bible teacher, the rabbi, the healer, the preacher, that guy. They crucified him. And then on Sunday, you see him alive. Are you held accountable to that information? If you're new to church, here's your next step. Don't bury your head in the sand, please. This is your choice. Don't bury your head in the sand when you see Christ crucified. Don't bury your head in the sand when you see him resurrected. And after we murdered him, does he come back angry with lightning bolts? No, he says, come to me. Thomas, feel the scar in my side. Feel the nail prints in my hands, Thomas. Come on, come back. Peter, feed my sheep. He invites you in today, just like he invited us in 2,000 years ago. If you're a Christian, oh, yeah, the famous Wilberforce quote. Oh, it's not. This is what Wilberforce said related to the Madagascar. You may choose to look the other way, but you can never again say you didn't know. To those of you that love Jesus, pray as much as you proclaim Pray as much as you proclaim. I hope that if you're a Christian, I hope that you, the words of Isaiah scared you just a bit. Because you've got people that you want them to know and love Jesus Christ and you're going, wait, huh? The Lord blinded some of their eyes, sends you back in your mind to Pharaoh. Who hardened what? Did Pharaoh harden his heart or did God harden his heart? And that's important theology to go through. I'll, I'll give you the, the, quick, the quick and easy God absolutely did it. It's important to look chronologically at what happens. The first hardenings are Pharaoh. At some point, God can and will, and I hope this scares you. At some point, a loving God inviting you into mercy, he has every right to give up. He didn't have to invite you into mercy in the first place. We saw it with Pharaoh, with Nebuchadnezzar. Praise God, we saw an entirely different result where Nebuchadnezzar decides to worship. God can smash the mighty, he can smash you, and he doesn't want to smash you. That's what the cross is. He already smashed his son. Christians, you want your friends and neighbors and coworkers to love Jesus, but you can't control the results. So do I want you to share the good news of who Jesus is? Oh yeah, but you'd better ask God to do the part that only God can do. Pray as much as you proclaim. It's 10 o'clock and I'm on my second point. This is going to be fast, but it's going to be okay. When following Jesus, the cost is high and the motivation is joy. This should be a whole sermon series unto itself. When following Jesus, the cost is high, not moderate and not easy. It's high. And the motivation is joy. 
verse 42. Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. We would empathize with these people more if we understood fully what it would be to get kicked out of synagogue. American life is so compartmentalized that my work is over here, my family is over here, my hobbies are over here, and if I have a religion, it's over here. And that's not frankly, what most of humanity experiences, but it's definitely not what first century Jews were experiencing. The synagogue was the center of social life, cultural life, my closest friends, my mentors, the people that I am mentoring, where my kids come to learn Torah. And we're all Jews. Like there are very few non-Jews in these areas like Judea, some parts of Galilee. Uh, And if they are non-Jews, we don't hang out with them because we're racists. That's a sermon for another day. The Samaritans, right? To be kicked out of synagogue would be like getting kicked out of your job, being fired by your boss, your pastor, your elders get together and kick you out of the church, all of your friends turn their back on you, your dog ran away, away. it's a country song, right? And then the mayor says, you're not welcome to live in our city, sell your house and move. If you could take every social institution and wrap it into one, I need you to understand, let's not quickly judge these maybe siblings. The cost of following Jesus was high then and it's high now. We've got voices online trying to tell us that it's easy because it's just some positive thinking. No, no, my, my savior nailed to a piece of wood screaming isn't positive thinking. And it's not positive either when he says, you want to follow me? Put a cross on your shoulder too. The old self is going to have to not just die, it's going to have to be murdered. And you and the Holy Spirit are going to do it together. You are going to murder the old self. The old self hates God. The old self actually hates everybody around you. The old self teaches you hate and self-loathing toward yourself. We are going to murder that. That's the invitation to call, the call toward Christ. This is a high cost that is difficult. Why do people do it? It's worth it. It's worth it. The motivation is joy. Don't forget if I put a slide up in here. No. Oh, where, where are we? Could we go, whoa, it's going forward instead of backward. Could we go back to when following Jesus, the cost is high? This isn't, I don't think, working today. I didn't put it in the slide. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like this. You find a treasure buried in a field and in your joy, you rebury that treasure and you go, the value of that real estate, everybody else thinks it's a worthless piece of dirt, but I know better. You want to know why you became a Christian and some of your friends looked at you sideways? They still see a worthless piece of dirt. You paid how much for those two acres? Oh, see, but you didn't see what I saw. Jesus says that when you sell everything to follow him, you don't do it out of guilt. You don't do it because your mama dragged you to church. You did it for joy. Joy is the only thing that'll sustain you. When your dad does not approve that you're a Christian, it's going to take, yeah, I've got one who will testify right here. The cost gets higher. 
when Christian ethics don't work particularly well at your particular place of work, the cost can get higher. The cost can get higher. What was Rocky doing to get ready for the fight? Easier, easy or hard? What helped him to focus? He had the eye of the tiger. It's the thrill of the fight, rising up to the challenge of our rivals. And the last known survivor stalks his prey in the night. You guys, there's an intensity of what he wants. Hard or easy? I'm going to ask you a second time. Hard or easy? How lame would the Rocky narrative be if his objective was easy? Rocky four, he's going to go take a nap. No, no, we have Ivan Drago. We have a gargantuan thing to achieve, and it's going to be unbelievably hard, and he's taking steroids, and Rocky is not. That's what makes it what it is. It makes it worth doing. The second vision statement that we have as a church is that we see God leading us to become a training ground for passionate disciples of Christ. So, in case you don't know, or if you're new to church, the Christian life is less like taking a nap, it's less like surfing through Netflix, and it is more like putting a two-by on your shoulders in Siberia at 4.30 in the morning and running a mile with a railroad tie, uphill both ways. Discipleship is a training ground. This is tough. It's not impossible. It's tough, and it's worth it. And you've got brothers and sisters that are in the same training ground. You're not alone out there in the early Siberian morning. You're out there with other fools that say, this is totally worth it. Basically, what I'm telling you guys is the church is CrossFit. You ever seen a member of CrossFit who could stay quiet about CrossFit? Nope. Not possible. It's not possible. If you love Jesus, I want to encourage you to get to the next level of where you're at in your journey. Please get in touch with your joy. Please get in touch with your joy. You saw that treasure in a field, and it may have been 10 years ago, it may have been 45 years ago. Open the word every single day. Hang out with people who love Jesus more than you do to remind you, oh yeah, that's why I sold everything. Anybody ever hit the tough times and go, wait, why did I sell all for this field? That's called life. Why did I sell all for this field? Oh, that's right. I need to be reminded. Where does my joy come from? If you're new to church, please count the cost of following Jesus. Please count the cost. Do not put up your hand and say, I'm signing up for Team Jesus. I want to be baptized. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to get religion. I'm going to feel better about myself. I'll feel like I'm a good person. Nope, nope, and nope. I want you to follow Jesus. Every Christian on earth wants you to follow Jesus. But you are not going to last, and you're not going to be a true child of God unless you sign on knowing what the cost is. Discipleship is a training ground at 4.30 in the morning in the freezing cold with a railroad tie on your shoulders. That, and Jesus says it's not a railroad tie, it's a cross. I want you to follow Jesus, not because it's easy, but because it's worth it. 
Guys, marriage isn't easy. Why do people keep doing it? Because if you'll fight, not fight each other, everybody does that. If you will fight and fight and fight, you fight the darkness inside yourself, marriage is so worth it. Parenting is hard. Why do people keep procreating? (laughs) To get grandkids one day. (laughs) People have kids because it's worth it. It's hard and it's worth it. Why do people climb Everest? It's hard and apparently it's worth it. Don't ask me to sign up. I'll walk to the gift shop and get wended. 14 bucks for a snow globe and and then I'm going to get a sandwich and then I'm going to leave. But it's apparently worth it because people keep doing it. This incredible movie called Braveheart, there was a horrible injustice inflicted on the English, on, on the Scottish by the English. And because of that abuse of authority, a couple decides to get married in secret. Is there an authority higher than Jesus Christ? See, the Christians didn't hesitate because you're Christians. The rest of us don't have to figure it out. This marriage happened in secret and nobody knew about it. Not even the bride's parents. Nobody knew about it except the priest because there was an abuse of authority that was going to harm them if it wasn't secret. Who is going to punish you for becoming a Christian where we are called the bride of Christ? Christ is the bridegroom. You're reconciled to the Father by the blood of Jesus. One of the images used is of marriage. If you marry Jesus, if you're part of the bride of Christ and and Jesus is now your savior, the Lord over you, spiritual leader, spiritual protection, who is the authority who's gonna come in and tell you, nope, you did the wrong thing. Huh? Who's, who's going to? No one. That's the Christian answer. The Christian answer is that there is no higher authority. Jesus is the higher authority. So I can be married to Jesus and no one can come and slap my wrist. But you see, before we love Jesus, we can think of all kinds of higher authorities. I don't know if my girlfriend is going to like it if I become a Christian. I don't know if my mother is going to approve of this. Is this going to affect my bank account? Those people get a lot of money to missionaries and stuff. I just don't know. Yeah, my friends worship something else. I am just not so sure. The whole idea of a secret marriage to Jesus, we just saw it in the text. You want to call yourself a Christian, but nobody knows you love Jesus. Is that real? Is that a thing? Because Jesus said something horrifying about that. If you deny me before men, I'm gonna deny you before my father at the end. You don't want me denying you before my father. Confess me now. You're going to confess Christ if you don't just believe in him in some theoretical idea like he loves me so he's washing away my sins. Are you okay with him being the Lord over you? Is he God himself? Is he God? 
not just a nice guy. That question is what's dividing the crowd in John and it's dividing the crowd 21 centuries later. Last blank. You will not choose to know Jesus until his approval is what you want most in life. It simply won't happen. Not a moment sooner. Caesar Augustus ruled by himself for about 60 years the entire, at the time, known world from the European perspective. Based on the population that he ruled over and the amount of years that he ruled, it would not be crazy to say that in all of world history, Caesar Augustus was the most powerful human being even to this point in 2021 exercised more power and more authority than anybody ever, period. And as he's lying on his deathbed, here's what he's got to say. Did I play the part well? Then applaud as I exit. Did I do my job? Did I do what I was supposed to do? I have nobody's applause to pursue except whoever's listening. Roman citizens around me, maybe historians later. Did I do it right? I don't want to reach the end of my life wondering, frankly. And so I'm here to proclaim to you now what any Christian will proclaim to you. I didn't do it right. Jesus did. I don't need your applause when I exit. There's a savior whose applause I want. When I show up to heaven, I want him giving praise like he said he would. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come enter into my rest. Isn't it funny that on Twitter, 30,000 followers is not very much, but when you get to heaven, one, one person giving you praise and kudos is more than enough. This is the point. Decide before the show who will clap. You can't please everybody. Decide now who's going to clap at the end and then give your entire life to the performance. Sing the song you're supposed to sing. Act the part you're supposed to act. Dance how you're supposed to dance. For whose applause? Because this book was not written by mere mortals. There are plenty of books written by mere mortals and you can go devote your entire life to their teachings go for it. I, I don't think it's wise. God doesn't advise it. Decide whose applause you want in the end. ARCF family, we have had so many funerals in the last 14 months. Really good ones. People who loved God and finished well and are incredible examples to the rest of us. But you know what? I, it, it would do me no benefit 
if I was a really nice guy and I convinced hundreds of people that I was a really nice guy, but I didn't actually know God. So that I am in the active, conscious, rebellious torment of hell for a full two weeks before you guys get together to get into a room and talk about how good of a guy I was. Right? Am I better off if you guys are all telling, saying, oh, Greg was such a good guy? Does it do anything for me? Am I any better off an hour later when you're eating potato salad? Guys, I love you, but I'm a terrible people pleaser. Your clapping just isn't going to do it. Your clapping is not going to cut it. Because you're not the judge. And you don't want to be. If you look closely, you don't want that authority. And I don't want it either. It does not matter who is clapping other than Jesus Christ, your creator. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna do a couple of things to wrap up. God, I ask you to please make me comfortable with my role as one who can scatter seed and who can water it. But God, I cannot bring the growth and nobody in this room can bring the growth. God, give us joy as we faithfully seek to honor you with every word, every action, every thought, the passions of our heart. Help us to trust you with tough texts that don't tend to attract crowds. They tend to thin them like you did in John 6. And most of the crowd left. God, help us to trust you that unless the Lord builds a house, they that labor do so in vain. God, help us to trust you that where the Son of Man be lifted up, he draw all men to himself. God, I ask your Holy Spirit for one particular miracle that seems to fly in the face of modern thinking. I ask God that today people would hear a tough word about their guilt before you, but your mercy in the cross, and that they would feel loved by that message instead of condemned. Only you can do that, God. Show people the cross for what it really is so that they would see the treasure and go sell all to get the field and thereby getting the treasure. Make worshipers out of us today. Holy Spirit, lead ARCF in every way. Make us the family you would have us to be. Help us to love each other, serve each other well, encourage each other as we seek to be a blessing to our city and to our world. Help us to live as a family utterly committed to your praise at the end and yours alone. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. 
God's people said. Amen. Amen. Amen.